This podcast is from Christian Chapel in Tulsa, Oklahoma. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com. My name is Chris. I'm the pastor here at Christian Chapel. We're thrilled to see you the Sunday after Easter. Um, This year at Christian Chapel, we're celebrating good things that God has done by sharing praise stories with you each Sunday. If you have one of those, you can send them to us at praise at christianchapel.com. Our baptism videos honestly could have stood alone as praise stories this morning of the good things that God has done, because we're not just telling stories of healing and provision, but also stories of salvation and freedom. Um, but we had one last week that, that uh, I just thought I'd go ahead and share with you anyways, if that's okay. So um, last week, Easter Sunday, a lot of guests coming through Christian Chapel. We appreciate all of you uh, who volunteered and helped pull last Sunday off. But one man uh, who I didn't get to meet, but he stopped one of our chapel hosts on the way out, and he told her, you don't know me, I'm... Uh, from out of town. I'm just visiting today. He said, but I've had a a surgery on my eyes and I have not been able to see clearly since that time. Just everything's blurry. It sounded, you know, pretty painful and inconvenient. But he told her this morning during the message, I was sitting there and just before I realized it, I could see perfectly clearly. Everything was sharp. Everything was in focus. Just, uh, you know, just again... Lord works in ways that sometimes we ask for, sometimes we long for, and sometimes in, in ways that we don't even expect and aren't anticipating. And so um, we're taking time to say thank you, Lord, for what you've done, and also to pray, God, will you do it again? And so I'm going to lead us in that prayer. And if you're here needing any type of healing, God, to intervene in your life in any way, I want to encourage you just grab the hand of someone close to you if you know them. Um, if you don't, you can say hi first, uh, you know, and... and If you're comfortable, go ahead. Uh, Or if you're comfortable, you can raise your hand and somebody around you will put their hand on your shoulder and we'll pray with you. But I'm going to pray specifically this morning. uh, If you're having any kind of issues with your eyes, we're just going to pray that God will bring clarity, will bring uh, restored vision, and, and also every other need that we would have. So Jesus, we come to you today. We're thankful that you um, don't just heal in the stories in the scriptures or stories in church history, but you continue to release those gifts of healing in us and among us. And we thank you for the story from last week, God, of your ability to reach down and restore vision, restore clarity, uh, remove double vision and blurriness and all of the other things that would hinder or hamper our ability to see. And now, Jesus, as we say thank you for what you've done, we also ask, will you do it again today? Lord, if if there's anyone in the room specifically, Lord, who's struggling with their vision, struggling with their eyes, struggling with pain, with discomfort, with a lack of ability to see, with muscles that don't fire, with eyes that won't focus, with vision that is diminishing, Jesus, we pray today, will you release complete and total healing this morning? God, will you restore vision? Will you restore clarity? I pray even during this service, Lord, that there would be things that they would see and recognize that they have not seen or recognized before. Jesus, that you, as a sign of your grace and mercy, as a gift of your spirit, would release healing again today. And as you do, Lord, we will glorify you, we will honor you, and we will celebrate the good things that you continue to do in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, today we are continuing our story through the book of Acts. We're in Acts chapter 4, if you have a Bible, and we're going to kind of uh, talk a little bit about what happens after there's this miraculous healing uh, and, and kind of the two ways that people respond to it. Um, I, I don't know if you have, have played with these. I'll, sh- I'll show you a picture in just a moment, so just hang on. But um, anybody familiar with those aging apps? on your phone or aging filters? Anybody, anybody done this? Right? It's usually people under 40 who enjoy playing with those. 
And some of us, we look at it, it's like, there's no change. I don't, it just looks like a picture. Um, so I, a couple years ago, I, I found this, one of these, and I played with it uh, with my daughter, and we looked at it, and we thought it was hilarious, and we sent it to my siblings and my parents, and, you know, the responses were like, oh, you look like Grandpa Dow, and I thought it was really cool. Yesterday at lunch, uh, one of my boys got his phone out, and he did it, and he, he showed me this picture behind me, and I was alarmed because there wasn't much change. It still was me, and when you have gray hair, and then they put a picture with more gray hair, it's, it's not any different, and, and uh, he, he kind of, they laughed, but their laughter was, they weren't laughing with me. <laughs> they were laughing at me, and I, I sent it to my siblings, and, and their responses five years ago were like, oh, that's funny, and this time it was like, oh, that's dad. You look like our dad. That's, like, that's where you're headed, and so we can go ahead and remove that. Um, from behind me because it's, it's enough. But what, what I want you to understand is we're going to talk about the unstoppable gospel this morning. As we do, it's not unstoppable in like a generic sense. It's unstoppable in the aging sense, right? Aging is undefeated. Like there, there's nobody here who is aging backwards. Uh, there are no Benjamin Buttons among us. Despite Botox fillers and our best efforts, uh, all that makes us do is lose the ability to be surprised, right? It's like, like you just have the same... Do you like it? Uh-huh. Are you sad? Uh-huh. Like, you know, you just, you can't move. You can't function anymore. Now, if you're doing that, no, no judgment at all, right? We all have, and I can tell who it is because some are like, and you're like, uh-huh, uh, there's nothing, nothing going there. But uh, we all have our own versions, right? Like, I go get a haircut every two weeks to try to get rid of this band of gray hair. And, and I always tell them, like, fade it up to the gray line. And she told me a couple months ago, I can't. You will be bald if we fade it to the gray line. The gray line is now your head. And, and so we, we understand what it is. Of Aging is unstoppable. Aging always moves forward. No one has ever beat it. And what I want you to understand this morning is that in the same way, but in a much more encouraging and life-giving way, the gospel is unstoppable. That in spite of opposition, in spite of cultural changes, in spite of, of, of what happens in one part of the world or at one point of history, the gospel always moves forward. The kingdom always advances. Men and women will rise up in opposition and rejection to Jesus, but many will continue to place their faith and hope in him. And so what we're going to see in Acts chapter 4 this morning is what it looks like and some of the reasons why people reject Jesus, what it looks like and why people accept Jesus, and how we can continue to move forward as followers of Jesus in the face of opposition. So if you, if you have a Bible, start in Acts chapter 4, verse 1. It says, The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John. Because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. And so if, if you were with us last week, you remember in Acts chapter 3, we read the story of, of the man who was healed at the temple. He was over 40 years old. He had been uh, unable to use his legs for his entire life. It seems like for decades he had been placed near the temple to beg from people who were coming. And when he encounters Peter and John, they, uh, in the name of Jesus, they extend healing to him. He gets up, he walks away, he runs and jumps, praising God around the temple. The response of the religious leaders is interesting. You know, I, I think oftentimes we think, you know, if, if I could just have God perform a miracle in my life, my family would finally believe in Jesus. 
If God would just give this supernatural provision, the people I work with would finally follow him. If the Lord, and and I know I've personally prayed that prayer. You probably have too. When there is a particular need in my life that is obvious and that other people know about, I have no shame praying, Lord, if you will do this thing, I believe it can be used for your glory, right? And, 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 And I do want him to be glorified, and I also want my need to be met. And so we pray those prayers, but what we see in the scriptures is that miracles will never force everyone to believe in Jesus, In fact, in in Acts chapter 4, what we see is a group of religious leaders who should have been looking for the Messiah, who should have been longing for the consolation of Israel, who should have been hoping for one to come and inaugurate a new covenant. Instead, when they encounter people being healed in the name of Jesus, and they hear the apostles preaching that Jesus is the fulfillment, that he is the way, he is the truth, he is the life, that they crucified him, but God resurrected him, and now they can place their faith in him, and they have these miracles as signs of God's movement and power, their response is to arrest Peter and John. Not to learn more about what they've done, but to try to get them to stop. You see, the religious leaders, they reject Jesus for the same reason many people continue to reject Jesus. He threatens their way of life. He threatens their authority. He threatens their social capital. He threatens their financial life. Jesus, as the fulfillment of the new covenant, strips these religious leaders of all of their power, all of their prestige, everything that for generations in their families they have held on to. And so their choice is to reject him. And you continue to see that in your life and around the world today, that as you share the good news of Jesus, some will accept, but others will reject. Many people will see the signs and the wonders that God performs and they will find every reason they can to excuse it or dismiss it, not necessarily because they don't want to live in a world where that's possible, but more they don't want to live in a world where Jesus really could place an ultimate claim on their life. And what we see with the disciples is their preaching is not just Jesus heals so you should admire him. Their preaching is Jesus heals because he's the son of God, he's the Messiah, the Savior, and he now demands your complete and total submission and surrender and new life is found only in him. And so there will continue to be people who reject and and the temptation for us at times is, well, if they're going to reject, then I shouldn't even try. It's easier for me just to avoid the hassle and the headache of it. But we continue to share the good news because we see even though some reject, there are still many who will accept. Acts chapter 4 verse 4 says, Many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. So on the the day of Pentecost, let's just kind of go backwards. On the day of Pentecost, there's about 120 people gathered in the upper room when the Holy Spirit is poured out. It seems that that early church was a group of several hundred people from what we see in some of Paul's letters and some of the gospel accounts who had remained faithful to Jesus after his crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension. On the day of Pentecost, when the Spirit is poured out, Peter gets up by the power of the Holy Spirit and begins to preach of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, and 3,000 people are added to the church on that day. And now, just a short time later, we find they've healed this man at the temple. Peter again uses it as an opportunity to tell people about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. And it says many more believed in him. And so they grew to about 5,000 men, not including women and children. And so what, what Acts is teaching us is everywhere the gospel is proclaimed, we can expect two responses. Some will reject and many will accept. And our job 
is to keep sharing so that others can keep accepting. Right? Acts also kind of, kind of gives us a, a little clue that God cares about numbers. It would have been very easy for, for the, the early church to just say, and the church grew on the day of Pentecost, or and the church grew and many accepted. But they give us specific numbers highlighting this idea of numbers matter to God because every number is a name, and every name has a story, and every story is created to be part of Jesus' story. Now, for some of us in the room, that's the best news you've heard all day is that God cares about numbers and love numbers because you, you do too. Um, and so, so welcome, right? Here's your little, here's your little space in the, the story of Acts. For others of us, we don't give a lot of thought to it. But for some of us, the idea of churches counting and, and emphasizing numbers can sometimes be off-putting. And I understand that because it's easy in church world to turn numbers into something bordering on idolatrous, right? Where we worship how many people were in church, how many people did this, how many people do that. But, but I'll tell you, following the book of Acts at, at Christian Chapel, we, we count. We count every Sunday. We count every salvation. We count every baptism. We count every child who's participating in chapel kids. We count every student who's in chapel youth. We count over and over and over again, not because we're trying to prove our worth or our identity, but because we believe what Acts teaches, that every number matters because every number is a name and every name has a story. And so we're actively trying to figure out, just as the disciples were, of, well, what do we do with all of these people? And we're trying to figure those things out at Christian Chapel, too, of what do we do? How do we make more space for more people to experience new life in Jesus? How do we tell more baptism stories? How do we celebrate more people moving from death to life? How can we do this more and more? Not because we want bigger numbers, but because we want more names in the kingdom, and we want more stories celebrating the good things that God has done. And it's vital for us to tell the stories and celebrate the numbers because the world is surrounded by negativity about the supposed decline of the church. And in your own experience, you know that one negative thing outweighs 10 positive things. And all it takes is one story that you read about how the church is shrinking, one story about how it won't survive this generation, one story about how it's not advancing in America, one story about how students are walking away from their faith. And you can begin to believe the lie that the church is diminishing, that the church is shrinking, that the church is on the verge of collapse. But we will count the numbers of those who believe. We will celebrate the stories of those who believe. We will learn the names of those who believe as a reminder to us that Jesus told us on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. To remind us that yes, many will reject, but many will continue to accept. And so we can read the stories and we can understand the context, but we're also going to understand God isn't just adding people here, but the gospel continues to be proclaimed and to be accepted globally. Through kingdom builders all around the world, we're hearing stories of what God has done. Last week, I, I got an email from Rubens Cunha, one of our, our missionaries that we support, and he sent me this picture from a recent gospel campaign that he did in Ethiopia. And I, I want to show it to you for two reasons. One, it's quite possibly the coolest missions picture I've ever seen. Like, I, I want to preach. Can we move Christian Chapel there? That's where I want to preach. I want to see the mountains in the background. I want to see the sun setting behind the hills. I want to preach for an hour like Rubens does over there. Like, I want to do all of these things. It's beautiful. That What you can't see there, he sent me some others that I didn't have time to, to get on there, but there's some larger views. There are 40,000 people there hearing the gospel. And so you can, you can read an article talking about, like, oh, there's some college students in the U.S. who are walking away from their faith. And, and there's truth in that. And we should be concerned about it. 
You can read articles about how more Americans identify as non-professing or non-believing than they have at any point in history. And there's truth in that, and we should be concerned about it. But what is happening in one pocket of the world is not proof of what's happening in every corner of the world. Right? And so we're going to remember, before we were Americans, we were Christians. And the gospel is continuing to advance. And we're going to celebrate it with baptism stories here. And we're going to celebrate it with what God is doing there. Thousands of people surrendered their lives to Jesus in Ethiopia. Hundreds of stories of healing, deliverance, freedom. Incredible things that God is doing. And so we will continue to share the good news of Jesus, knowing full well that some will reject and some will accept. But it's our job just to keep sharing. And so, so kind of in the, the face of those two realities, rejection and acceptance, I want, want to give you five quick things to keep in mind, and, and then we'll kind of move on in our story. The first thing, some will reject and others will accept. We want to be realistic. Jesus told us this would happen. Right? Jesus is the one who said, if the world hates you, keep in mind it hated me first. He's the one who said, narrow is the road that leads to life, and few find it, and broad is the path that leads to destruction, and many will walk on it. And so it, it should not surprise us, catch us off guard, or keep us from sharing the good news that some will reject and others will accept. We're also not going to become negative, right? When, when you hear those stories, when you experience rejection personally, when you see others in your community, in culture, on the news, around the world, rejecting the gospel of Jesus, we're not going to become the Debbie Downer Christians of, well, I guess we actually are the last generation, I guess the church will die with us. I guess my children won't know what it is to worship Jesus. They'll never celebrate the resurrection. They won't know what the word baptism. We're not going to become those people, right? And, and if you have tendencies to become those people, stop it. Just stop it. It's not good. It's not helpful. No one wants to hang out with you and hear those stories. So just don't be negative, right? You're like, I'm just realistic. No, realistic is some will reject and others will accept. Negative is, here we go. That's not what God has called us to be. So we're not going to be negative. We're also not going to isolate. Sometimes in the, the face of rejection, there's a tendency for Christians, and specifically in our context, a tendency for Christians to say, if I'm not accepted in culture, I'm going to completely remove and just create my own version of culture. And, and so, so nothing, like I'm the product of a Christian college and a Christian seminary. Nothing against Christian education at all. But we live in a, a part of the world where it's possible for us to say, you know what, I'm going to make sure my kids are never around anybody who doesn't believe exactly like I believe. So they're only going to be educated here, and then we're going to live there, and then we're not going to hang out with anyone who would ever challenge our faith or beliefs. And if somebody rejects Jesus, we'll just go ahead and reject them too, um, and we'll build a wall to make sure that they can't get in. And we'll have people standing at the gates to check their credentials before they get in to make sure that they believe everything just as we believe. And yet, we have to understand this is not at all what Jesus called us to do. He called us to be in the world, but not of the world. He called us to be salt and light, a city on a hill. And you can't be a city on the hill when you're hidden in the country in a fortress. You have to be among people. So we can't isolate ourselves away, and then we also can't retaliate. Now, again, because of the, the nature of our culture and the way that our, our political systems work especially, there can be a, a time and a temptation for us to think, well, if they're going to come at me, I'm going to come at them. 
Like they're going to make my life hard by rejecting Jesus. I'm going to make their life hard by trying to do all of these other things. And yet again, Jesus is the one who taught us, you are to turn the other cheek. You are to go the extra mile. You are to do more than is asked of you. And if you're rejected, we see it in Acts chapter 4, the response is not, I'll get you back. The response is you celebrate that you were counted worthy of being dishonored for Jesus. And I don't like that any more than you do. Right, I mean, there, there's never, like, I, I, sometimes I'll write scriptures on my kids' uh, mirrors in their bathrooms. I have never written the one of, and they counted themselves worthy of being dishonored for Jesus. Right, I, I mean, we're a whole lot more of, like, uh, let's celebrate faith and God providing and God doing these kinds of things. And, and yet, this is part of what it means to be a Christian. And so we, we can't adopt that mentality of, well, if you get me, I'll get you, and I'll get you worse. And and then the last thing we're going to do, and here's where we'll spend some time this morning, is in the face of rejection and acceptance, we're just going to keep sharing Jesus because that's what we're called to do. And so that's what we see happening in in Acts chapter 4. They are arrested, they're imprisoned, they're drugged before the authorities the next day. They're commanded, hey, tell us why you're doing this. Tell us why this is happening. And Peter stands up and gives them a very full and thorough response. Acts chapter 4, verse 8, it says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness showing to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Now, Peter has has already been baptized with the power of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. He is walking in the power of the Holy Spirit every single day. And yet what we see here in Acts is the idea that the Holy Spirit comes with fresh outpourings and fresh anointings of power for specific jobs and situations. And so in this space, when Peter is called, before we're told that Peter begins to speak, it says, then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, now Peter is already living a life full of the Holy Spirit, but it's this idea of in that moment, there is something that stirs inside of him. It is a fresh awareness of the presence of the Holy Spirit. And in fact, what, what Peter experiences here as he stands and begins to speak is the fulfillment of something that Jesus had promised his disciples in Matthew chapter 10. He said, on my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, Do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. You and I still need this gift of the Holy Spirit. When I say that your job in the face of rejection and acceptance is to share Jesus, and that's intimidating to you, that's fine. It should be. But it should also be encouraging that you are not expected to share Jesus by your own power through your own strength. And so as you evaluate your life today, and and some of you, God has given you natural gifts and abilities that are amazing and that have taken you so far. 
And when you think of sharing Jesus, you immediately start to think of all the ways you can share him. You think of the people that you already have influence with. You think of how the charisma God has given you. You think of your ability to empathize with others. You think of your ability to maybe think quickly on your feet or to share thoroughly. You think of your ability to see the issue that's underneath the issue and really get to the heart of what's going on in the life of someone else. Maybe you think of the successes or the platforms that God has given to you. Or maybe you don't think of any of that. And all you think is how extremely unqualified you are to try to share Jesus with anyone. But what Acts chapter 4 teaches us is that when God leads us into these moments, he's not just leading us into a space where we're at risk. He's leading us into a space where we will experience a new, fresh power from the Holy Spirit in that moment. God will never call you into a place where his spirit has not already prepared an experience of power for you. And so you can stand with confidence. You, like Peter, can begin to speak. And the greatest gift you have is nothing that resides in you. It is the gift of the Holy Spirit that God has placed upon you. And because you are a temple of the Holy Spirit, because you have received power to be his witnesses, you can stand and you can begin to speak no matter where it is. So it might be that family member that is always intimidating to you. It might be that cousin who is way smarter and you've never been right in a conversation in your life. It might be a space in a classroom, an opportunity at work, wherever it is, you can walk in confidence, not in your own abilities or your own strength, but in the confidence that the Holy Spirit has gone before you, the Holy Spirit has led you to this moment, and the Holy Spirit will fill you with a fresh anointing for what you need to do in that place. And then as you you keep reading the story of Acts chapter 4, you see that when Peter stands to share, he's not just sharing by the power of the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit is empowering him to share the exclusive truth of who Jesus is. He says in Acts chapter 4 verse 12 that Jesus is the only name given under heaven by which we must be saved. It's a fulfillment of what Jesus said in John chapter 14, that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. And so if we're going to share the story of Jesus, we have to share the exclusive truth of who Jesus is. Jesus is not a way. He's not a possible way for some. He's not the way for certain cultures. He's not the way for certain people. He is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. That exclusive nature of Jesus is what was so deeply offensive to the religious leaders on that day. They were okay with healing. They would have probably been okay even with Peter and John just promoting Jesus as a, a prophet or a teacher. But the fact that Peter and John kept coming back to the point of this Jesus whom you crucified, whom God raised for the dead, is now the only name under heaven by which we must be saved. They're they're driving home this point of Jesus did not come to be applauded or admired. He didn't come to be a role model or a teacher. He did not come as just another prophet or a holy man, but he comes as the son of God. He comes as the lamb who takes away the sins of the world. He comes as the only path to heaven, as the only way to the Father. And that exclusive truth of Jesus was offensive in the first century and remains offensive in this century. In fact, what what you discover increasingly in our culture is that even among Christians, we are growing more and more uncomfortable with the idea that Jesus is the only way to the Father. I've read recent studies that, that show younger generations of believers find the idea of evangelism offensive. Believers find the idea of evangelism offensive. 
I don't know how you even write that sentence. And yet, we see that happening in the church. And for some of us, we may struggle with that ourselves as well. Well, what about the person who grew up and never heard? Well, what about the person who grew up in another religion? What about the person who's really moral and striving? And the message of the gospel is, there is no name given under heaven by which we must be saved except Jesus Christ. And Jesus came and said, I am the way, the truth, the life, and no one gets to the Father except through me. And so, so for us, when we're sharing the good news of Jesus, the good news of Jesus is the exclusive news of Jesus. There is no other way. There is no other hope. There is no other path. There is no shortcut. There is no detour. The only way you come into right relationship with God is through Jesus Christ. This is what continues to get the apostles in such trouble as the gospel spreads around the world. What ultimately leads the Roman civil government to begin to oppress the church as well, the idea that there is only one way, that Jesus will not share his throne, that he is not in competition. And so this morning, that challenges us in two ways. The first way it challenges us is if we find that offensive, we just have to come to the the point of understanding God doesn't really care if you find that offensive. Because it's the truth, and the truth is without Jesus, we're all sinners, we're lost, we're hopeless, we're helpless, and we're on the path of destruction. Through Jesus, we're brought to the path of life. The the second way we have to understand that is, if that's true, that should be a motivating factor for me to share the story of Jesus. Because it means everyone who's not walking with him is lost and on the path of destruction. And so, so what we don't want to be is we don't want to be the Christians who sit here this morning and think, well, thank God I'm not one of those believers who refuses to believe in the exclusive nature of Jesus, while simultaneously refusing to share the good news of the exclusive truth of Jesus with other people. If we really believe it, we have to share it. If we really believe it, we can't help but tell others about it, knowing full well the risk that some will reject and others will accept. So we're going to share by the power of the Holy Spirit. We're going to share with confidence in the exclusive power of Jesus. And as we share, we're going to trust that the Spirit works through us. Acts 4 verse 13 says, When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. I think particularly the phrase unschooled, ordinary men. I don't have any tattoos, but if I did, maybe that would be one. It would just say ordinary, right? just right there. It's perfectly ordinary. Because is, is there anything more antithetical to the American experience than to describe yourself as ordinary? I mean, just, just watch the birth announcements of babies. Man, this kid's going to be a world changer. Right? He's going to do great things. Nobody's ever like, hey, we had a kid. Think he's going to be pretty average. She looks normal. I have mediocre expectations for him. He has all the makings of a solid C student. One day he will vote for the President of the United States. Like, we just really, nobody does that. 
Why? Because we, we all want to be respected. We all want to be elevated. We all, and, and yet what we see in the scriptures is this idea of when the spirit is poured out, God often raises up the most ordinary and, and just unimpressive among us to achieve his purposes and his plans. And the reason he does that is because if God only chose, I mean, like Paul later is going to be chosen by God. And Paul is impressive. Paul knows all kinds of things about all kinds of stuff. Paul can argue with anybody, anytime, about anything. Paul is brilliant. And Paul is great for like 2% of you this morning. And for the other 98% of us, we love Peter and John. Ordinary and unschooled. Right? There are some of us in the room where like, I have a college education, and I still don't know how I got the degree. Right? <laughs> Like, I think they let me walk out of sympathy. I'm not real sure. Some of us, we've achieved things in our life that others would say success, and you know the tattoo on your arm would still read ordinary. Because you know who you are, and you know that deep inside of you, you're just another guy, you're just another girl. And yet what the scriptures are telling us is when the Holy Spirit is poured out on you, you can share Jesus with a supernatural confidence. And when you share Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit, it's his words that come through you. It's his peace that is evident to the world around you. It's his passion that exudes into others. And even those who reject your message will recognize that there's something different inside of you. Right? Who, who is it that's taking notice of this? It's not those who's put their faith in Jesus. It's those who are actively opposed to what God is doing, and yet they look at Peter and John, and they, they take note of, man, these are just regular dudes, and they are sharing with a boldness, with a passion, with conviction, with eloquence, and everyone in the room knows that's not who they are, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, it is who they are. And so it gives us confidence of it's not about me, it's not about my credentials, it's not about my background, it's not about my education, it's not about my ability to think on my feet, it's not about your ability to speak the right words at the right time, it's just about our availability to the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit to share the name of Jesus. And when we do, some will reject, but even those who reject will know there's something different in that one. And oftentimes what you'll find is some of those who reject in this season it was the first seeds that were planted. Sometimes you get the privilege of circling back and seeing their story. Other times you don't. But they remember there was that person, there was that coworker, that neighbor, that classmate, and there was something different there. And that's what's happening in Acts chapter 4. And it's as we do that, the kingdom continues to move forward. Now, even in spite of that, they see there's something different on there. There are still those who move from, from kind of this rejection to a more organized opposition. Move down to Acts chapter 4, verse 18, and then in verse 21, it says, Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. Now, we, we don't want to run through that too quickly. The, the organized opposition here is not just a few people who don't like what they're saying. The group of men who threaten Peter and John is the same group of men responsible for the death of Jesus. And so their threats have teeth. Their commands can be backed up. They know how to work the system. They know how to manipulate people. They know how to achieve their means by whatever ends are required. And so when they call Peter and John and tell them, you guys need to keep the name of Jesus out of your mouth, 
it's not as if it's just, you know, your neighbor saying, I don't want to hear from you anymore. It's much deeper. It's much more significant. In fact, Peter will eventually be martyred for his faith. John will be arrested, imprisoned, and exiled. All of Jesus' disciples pay a very heavy and personal cost for their dedication to sharing the gospel. It moves from personal rejection to organized opposition. The structures of power, both the religious leaders in Israel, the civil leaders in Rome, eventually develop their own plans for opposing and seeking to destroy this new movement of Jesus. And what we want to understand is that that when we stand for Jesus, there remains a real possibility that you will experience some form of organized opposition to what you're trying to do and who God has made you to be. Now, now that is, it's hard for us to grasp in America. And, and we, are, we are grateful. We live in a, a nation that values freedom of religion, that values freedom of speech. And because of those values, we are protected from some of the more extreme forms of persecution that we see around the world. And yet, the, the fact that those are absent from our lives does not mean they don't exist. You can read stories, I hear them from our Kingdom Builders partners of believers who are suffering, who are giving their lives for Jesus in the Middle East. Believers in parts of Africa who are being arrested and taken out of their homes. Believers in India, pastors who are being drugged out of their church and beaten in front of their congregations. You see it all over the world, and and what we want to understand is organized opposition can make the church suffer, it can make the church scatter, but it cannot stop the church. I mean, if you've read, we don't have time to get into it today, but if you've read stories of the church in China, there is no better modern example of a government dedicated to eradicating the gospel, and it just continues to flourish. And it continues to grow over and over and over again. The gospel remains unstoppable. And so the opposition can be organized, it can be real, and it should be expected. And we're not going to seek persecution. We're not going to try to make life difficult on ourselves. But we're going to understand, when I follow Jesus, even as an American, there will be times and places where I experience difficulty, hardship, or rejection because of my connection to Jesus. You will never be fully welcomed and celebrated in any circle that is not centered on Jesus Christ. Never. I mean, Politically, you're going to find people telling you, because you follow Jesus, you're too liberal. You're going to find people telling you, because you follow Jesus, you're too conservative. Culturally, you're going to find people telling you, because you follow Jesus, you're too progressive. Because you follow Jesus, you're too backwards. You're always going to be too far in one direction or another. You're always going to be a little ill at ease. And when you begin to share Jesus, others will become, they'll they'll have some discomfort with you. And what that means for us, it's not a sign that we stop. It's not a sign that we withdraw. It's not a sign that we do any of those things. It's just a reminder, this is how it works. When the kingdom of God confronts the kingdom of darkness, there's always going to be tension. There's always going to be friction. There's always going to be rejection. But there will also always be acceptance. And so our job is to understand it, to expect it, and to just keep moving forward. And Peter, Peter gives us this wonderful response. So they, they draw him in. They threaten him. And then in verse 19 it says, But Peter and John replied, Which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. When your life has been transformed by Jesus, what Peter is saying is, look, you can threaten me all day. 
Peter later is going to actually give his life for this message. But his response is like, you can threaten me, you can beat me, you can imprison me, you can do everything you want, but but you have to decide, am I supposed to obey you or God? And then I, I love that phrasing, as for us, we can't help but talk about what we've seen and what we've heard. You you have things in your life that are that way. You can't help but tell others about them. They just come out of you. And if if we had time to go to lunch today, within the first 10 minutes that we're there, one of those stories is going to come out. A story about something you love, something you value, they just naturally bubble up. And what Peter is telling us is when our hearts have been transformed by Jesus and we live under the power of the Holy Spirit, we've taken our place in his church, we can't help but talk about what we've seen and what we've heard. Peter's words remind me of Jeremiah's words. Jeremiah was an Old Testament prophet who'd been entrusted with a message from God for his people. It was a message that Jeremiah didn't always enjoy sharing because it brought him his own share of opposition and suffering. But in Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 9, he says, But if I say I will not mention his word or speak any more in his name, his word is in my heart like a fire, a fire shut up in my bones. I am weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. See, when we talk about sharing Jesus, it should never feel like a weight or a burden that's being placed on you. It's not another religious practice that you're going to do to try to earn Jesus' love, affection, or acceptance. What we're saying is when your heart has been transformed by Jesus and when you've been filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, it's just going to seep into everything that you do. It's going to leak into every conversation that you have. If you experience some form of persecution or opposition or hardship, when you're squeezed, it's the gospel that still comes out. This is why the church, as it's scattered, continues to spread. As they try to stamp out the flame of the gospel, those embers just go around the world and begin to ignite in different communities everywhere God's people go. Because sharing Jesus isn't primarily about all of us being together in one location. It's not about one particular building or one particular people. It's every single person whose heart and life have been transformed by Jesus becomes someone who lives and works by the power of the Holy Spirit and begins to speak words of life, hope, and joy into the world around them. You are the city on the hill, and your light cannot be extinguished. You are the salt of the earth, bringing a change and impact into the culture around you. And when you speak the name of Jesus, when you tell the story of Jesus, some will reject, but many will accept. And our job is not to evaluate if it's worth it or not. We can't control the outcomes, but we can control the inputs. And everywhere we go and in everything we do, we're going to live for Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. We're going to speak for Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. We're going to enjoy success for Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. We're going to endure hardship for Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. We are going to work, we're going to serve, we're going to play, we're going to worship for Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. And as we do it, God uses your life to be part of his story to draw others into their own experience. 
See, the gospel is not just unstoppable as a force going out into the world. The gospel is unstoppable in me and unstoppable in you. We are intended to have such a deep, powerful, and personal experience of Jesus and the Holy Spirit that we can join with Jeremiah and say, if I try to keep it in, it's like a fire shut up in my bones. That like Peter and John, we say, I mean, I can try, but I can't help but talk about what I've seen and what I've heard. It's just going to come out. And from that experience, it's a place of joy, a place of life, a place of freedom, not a place of religious obligation, not a place of guilt and shame, not a place of performance and evaluation. It's just a place where everywhere I go and in everything I do, I'm a life that's surrendered to Jesus. I'm a person that's full of the Holy Spirit. And as I begin to speak, the Spirit speaks through me. They're his words, not mine for his people, not mine. And as we do that, some will reject, but many will accept. And those many, we're gonna welcome and we're gonna disciple and we're gonna teach them to walk in the power of Jesus and the presence of the Holy Spirit. If you'll stand with me, I'm gonna pray for us. The band's gonna come back and lead us in a final song this morning. Jesus, we come to you today so grateful for what you've done in our lives, so grateful that you are the way, the truth, and the life grateful that you have revealed yourself to us as our Savior, our King, and our Lord. So Jesus, we come to submit and surrender to you. If there's anyone in the room or online who who has not yet made that decision, I pray today that they would confess their sins, they would receive forgiveness, acknowledge you as their Savior, and walk into the new life you're offering. The Holy Spirit, we invite you to come and pour your Spirit out on us once again. Fill us with your power. Fill us with confidence and faith to walk the path you're laying out before us, to walk into every opportunity you create and present for us to share the good news of Jesus with others. Holy Spirit, we believe that this week in our homes and neighborhoods, in our offices, on our job sites, in classrooms and in gyms, in restaurants and in cars, you are going to open opportunities for us to share Jesus with others. And as we do, Holy Spirit, we trust that you will give us the words to speak and that you will achieve your purposes. We know that some will reject, but we also come with confidence and expectation that many will accept. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christian Chapel. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com.